Let's pray together. Lord, we come and we echo the words that we just prayed through song. We need thee. Oh, indeed, we need thee. We need thee every hour. And so we come this morning as those who are just so incredibly thankful and grateful for the cross. That we come and we gather here and all of us gather here by grace. None of us come as those who have anything in ourselves or anything about us, nothing that we have done. It is only what you have done, Lord Jesus, for us. And so we rejoice in you this morning. We rejoice in the cross. And we come in, in awe of what tremendous and holy mercy and what costly uh, atonement there was in the cross we don't come here this morning as those who aren't saying we aren't, aren't sinners because we are. We recognize that the cross was costly. That your wrath and your judgment was poured out upon Christ on the cross. That your wrath and your judgment would not fall on those who would put faith in Christ as their lone hope their lone savior, their lone treasure of their souls. And so we are those who have looked to Christ this morning and we rejoice in your grace that you sought after us and by your grace we are saved. Amen. And so we pray this morning Jesus would be central to us, to our affections, to our thoughts, to our meditations, our considerations that in everything we do this morning that we would fix our eyes on Christ and remember all that he's done. We pray also, Father, as you know, although we pray for those in Ukraine, we ask for your grace upon them and our fellow brothers and sisters there in Christ as well as we've seen the response in the midst of this invasion from Russia we pray in thanks for their testimony even praising you rejoicing in you and trusting in you in the midst of these things we do pray that you would even halt and dismay the Russian forces even as it seems as is being done even now, we pray for that. We pray for Ukraine, that you would keep them and protect them and undo the forces of uh, Putin. And so we pray in these things. We recognize that you are in control, and we ask for your mercy and your grace over these uh, movements in the world. And we come and we pray that your word would effectively work today in us as we go to you and to your word, realizing it is the authority, it is God-breathed. And so help us to come. May your word be powerful, effective, and transformative in us. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles 
to the letter to the Galatians. We'll be continuing our study walking through this letter, so we'll be continuing Galatians 5. And we'll be looking expressly at verses 16 through 21. So this week, along with you, I witnessed the sad news of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And we see in that, and you very well know, the realities of war are terrible. And they are grim. Yet as the church, we know that there is a greater war that is being waged. And that even there is a greater war that is behind that war. And not just behind that war, but behind every war. It is a war in hearts, a war in minds, a war in souls. People are living and they are worshiping false gods. They are enslaved to sin and self. And they are in love with the gods that they have made. That is the real world. That is the world we live in. And this is the spiritual state of all around us. It is a tale of two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And so make no mistake, as we see a variety of things in our world, as we have seen many things over these last many years from COVID to now war, it is the kingdom of God that has and it will prevail. Christ's kingdom will not be shaken Christ is Lord today and every day, forever. O church, arise and put your armor on. And so this morning, as we see the very real conflict without, we need to see also the very real conflict within. In church, we must take up the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must follow our Savior. And we must walk by the power, not of ourselves or our flesh, but by the power of the Spirit of God. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So it is not a time, whether with COVID or war, to throw off the word of God and the gospel, but it is a time to take it up. We have a gospel to preach We have a word to declare. And so this charge in Galatians comes to us then at just the right time this morning. Walk and live by the Spirit of God as those who are made anew in Christ. So let's see this. We'll read this passage then beginning with verse 16. May God's word be heard this morning. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, as we've been walking through this letter, no surprise to you if you've been walking through it all along the way, walking through the letter to the Galatians, there are some evident themes that have carried us up to this point. And so what themes are those? And I think many of you could probably, you know, spell them off right here as well. But we've seen them. We've seen justification through Christ alone. We've seen faith. We've seen God's promises. We've seen freedom in Christ. And all of these have been heralded and even passionately, even pleading with the Galatians, take hold of these things, believe these things, do not forsake these things. And all of this has made plain a point that has been there, but is all the more evident here in our verses this morning. What point is that? that Believers are different. We're different. When you put your faith in Christ, you are not the same. You have been made new. You are no longer the same. You are a new creature in Christ. You are now part of His kingdom, and you are not part of the world's kingdom. You are not enslaved and you are not in chains. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so wherever we are, and whatever days we may be living in, God He is calling us to live in light of His kingdom, to live in light of the fact that you you belong to Christ and you are a new creature in Christ. He calls us then to the Spirit-empowered life. To the Spirit-empowered life. And so it is that we have The command here in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Now, yet at once here, in a very 
real experiential way, we quickly see a serious challenge within ourselves. Right? In other words, we are in an ongoing battle. The spirit and the flesh, they are opposed to one another. The flesh is aiming one way, and the spirit is aiming another way. The flesh is fixed on us, while the spirit is fixed on Christ, on God's glory, on the magnification of the gospel, on the glory of God. So here we have at one and the same time both kind of this fierce personal experiential reality and a strange comfort. A strange comfort. Now, the first one, as believers, we are experiencing a fierce battle because as we go on in this world, we have a battle going on within us. Will we walk by the Spirit of God or will we gratify the desires of the flesh? And that is the fierce side to all this. This is not going away. We're going to continue this until we're taken up in glory. Praise God when that day comes. But until then, you're going to find this for the rest of your life, having to fight this battle within yourself. Day after day. So that's the fierce side. But as the Protestant reformer Martin Luther, he points out, there is also a strange comfort here to these verses. It's a comfort because this battle is just what will happen for you if you are in Christ. Well, that, what does that mean? Well, it means that this, this kind of battle that you're experiencing day by day, that is actually a fruit of those who know Jesus Christ. It's those who do not have this battle, who if you are here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to be worried. It's those who are not having this battle within that need to be worried. We just go about your day and you don't care. I mean, you could care less. It's all you every day. You know, flesh or spirit, I don't care. I just want to live my life, you know. Let me alone. But that is not indicative of those who know Jesus Christ. If you don't know what Paul is talking about here, there's something incredibly wrong. However, if you are in Christ, you will care. Oftentimes, it is this very struggle that Satan will use to try to just dissuade us and discourage us. He'll say, you know, how can you be struggling with that? I mean, who do you think you are calling yourself a Christian and you're doing those things? And you think that way? Who do you think you are? You're you're not a Christian. However, it is right there that we actually find comfort. We use the enemy's words against him. 
we are experiencing this battle in ourselves, not as a battle of conscience or mere ethics, but as a matter between the flesh and the spirit. And because we belong to Christ, we are fighting this battle with everything we are. And it is here that we find help, right in the midst of that ongoing battle. And where do we find it? The Spirit of God. The Spirit gives victory over the flesh. The Spirit gives victory over the flesh. So verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So when we walk by the Spirit, we will have victory in the midst of this battle. We are to yield, submit ourselves wholly to God. Even as we've seen in the life of Christ, right as we walked through the Gospel of John, what was Jesus' disposition? Your will be done. The will of the Father is my good pleasure. And that is to be our disposition as well. So what does this look like? Well, before we answer that specifically, we need to back up for a minute to kind of see some things here in answer to this. So this passage, it doesn't just kind of pop out of the ground, you know, like boom, and there it is. But here we come, this passage, it comes within this letter. It comes within a context. It comes in the context of two sides. Life by faith in Christ or death by works of a law. So it comes in the context of Abraham who is declared righteous by faith. It comes in view of chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, where we got all confused, but then we got all clarified. Children of the slave woman who are banking in themselves, they're banking in their works, they're banking in the law, banking in what they can do, versus children of the free woman who are doing none of that. They are banking alone in Christ. He is their hope. He is our hope. Hence, verse 18, in view of all those things, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We are living as those who are alive, who are part of a different kingdom. And so before the world, and in the midst of war even, in the midst of our day, we are being exhorted then to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Now, unless we kind of take that, and you can take that in all variety of directions, unless we do that, we'd be right to ask, what does that mean? <laughs> what does Paul mean by walk by the Spirit? How do we even do that? How do, we, how do we apply this and walk by the Spirit? I want to do that. I mean, I, I don't want to walk and gratify the desires of the flesh, so how do I walk by the Spirit? 
Well, first, to walk by the Spirit, we must believe Christ and wholly trust in Him. You will not walk by the Spirit if the Spirit of God is not in you. If you don't know Christ, no victory is promised you over your sin. There is no promise for you of heaven, but a sure promise of hell and of God's wrath. So if you don't know Christ, you need Him. You need Him. And so the exhortation from all directions this morning is for you to believe in the one who came and took on your sin in your place, your shame, your guilt. For that has separated you from God. Through Christ, He has made the way that you would know God through Him, through faith in Christ. You will have life forever and you'll be made right with God forever and you will have communion with God forever. Exhortation for you, if, if you do not know Christ this morning, is to believe, to believe Christ and what He's done for you. And yet this point of believing Christ and wholly trusting in Him is not just true for unbelievers, it is also true for us as believers. You believe in Christ and you trust in Him also, not yourself, not the law, not self-effort. God saved you. You did not receive the Spirit by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. That means for the rest of the believer's life, they are continually looking and looking to Christ by faith. Daily. Christ, I need You. I trust in You. You are my life. That's the believer. Imperfections, battle and all. Now you are presently and for the rest of your life doing as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, you are living by faith in the Son of God. That's your life. And so first we must believe Christ. Believers, how dangerous it is just to say past tense instead of present tense. We are to believe Christ and wholly trust Him now. So that's one. How do you walk in the Spirit? Two. Believe the Word. Believe the Word. So just like those of old, they heard God's Word and they believed God's Word and they trusted Him. And they lived that way. Walking by the Spirit means you believe His Word and you do it. So Christ, believe His Word. And then third, have feet of faith. Have feet of faith. Now what in the world does that mean? (laughs) Have feet of faith. Essentially, this means God's will is your desire. When the flesh rises up, You yield to the Spirit. 
you believe, you trust God, you submit to God. You say, sin is saying this, my flesh is saying this, that is a lie, I'm going to believe God's word instead of the lie of the flesh, the lie of the sin, lie of temptation, lie of the world. I will have feet of faith, trusting Christ, believing the word, and I will walk by faith in his word, trusting it, not the flesh. So it is a submission of your will to to the Lord and to God. So for example, let's say you're struggling with something, let's say spiritual apathy. Now that right there is a massive one within our day. I would say that might even be the tone within American Christianity is just a spiritual apathy over all of life when it comes to Christ. There's just this desire. You don't desire God. You're dry. You're gasping. You're dull. So what do you do? What does it mean if you're struggling with spiritual apathy What does it look like at that time to walk in the Spirit of God, to seek to obey this passage? What looks like all the things we've just seen, it looks like feet of faith that believe God's Word and they don't forsake the gathering of believers. Which is counterintuitive to the way many people are responding today. I'm just going to back away until I get this figured out. That's not what we're called to do. It is believing Christ, believing His Word, and walking by faith and saying, I am going to go there. I'm going to hear the Word. I'm going to listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'm going to be around fellow believers. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to pray. I'm going to hear the Word of God read. I'm going to seek His face. I'm going to trust His Word is true. And so you do that. And it looks like walking in the Spirit looks like crying out even when you're dry, even when inside you're just like, I don't want to pray. You pray along with David, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And even there, don't you see how, the, how God is working in you? I don't desire but I do desire. And so you do that in the midst of spiritual apathy and you also pick up God's Word. You stay in God's Word. You believe that God is faithful feet of faith. And so that's what it looks like. And it looks like laying your life before God and letting Him show you any sin, anything in you that you need to cast away because lo and behold, spiritual apathy, it may well be that you have sinned against God, you're living in sin, and you're not casting it away. Hence, you're dry, you're dull. No affection for God. 
And so your prayer then is that of David also from Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's feet of faith like that because you believe, not because you don't. That's what walking by the Spirit looks like. That's what we've seen throughout the letter of, to, to the Galatians again and again. Christ alone. I'm going to live by faith in Christ alone. I'm going to believe God's word. That's what Abraham did. And he was declared righteous. You see, this is exactly what we've seen. And this is how we are called to walk by the Spirit of God. And so this leads us directly then into our next verses. And Paul's contrasting here of the flesh and the Spirit in verses 19 through 24. And so we'll look at the first part this morning in the Spirit. We'll focus on that, Lord willing, next week. And so first, let's look at working in the flesh. Working in the flesh. So the very first thing you need to see is that all of these vices in verses 19 through 21, life in the flesh, it's all about you. It's all about you. And that's not new. We've seen that already. That's, that's the slave woman. That's the Judaizers. Everyone outside of Christ. And all of these vices, none of these are aimed at pleasing God. They are all aimed at pleasing you. They're all aimed at getting your way in whatever manner or way it is. It's all about yielding not to the Spirit of God, but yielding to yourself. And they are evident. Verse 19. And that word evident, that's important. It's, it's important because what is evident, so often our flesh will often claim isn't evident. My goodness, as a pastor, seen this all the time. <laughs> People are plainly living in sin, living in these things. And they're saying, but no, it, it really is okay because of this and this and this, I'm not, I'm not doing exactly what this says here. I'm okay in my sin because of this. And that is exactly what the flesh will do. Big warning for you. Your flesh will try to excuse all of these things. And that's what the world's doing. Our culture will claim that it isn't evident. Tyrants will claim that this is not evident. A society inflamed with emotionalism and living according to their passions will say, this is not evident. There is no elephant in the room. What are you talking about? The emperor has clothes on, even though he doesn't. Don't you, don't you, even tell him, don't you go around telling everybody he doesn't have clothes on either. We're going we're gonna to punish you. And so this word, 
evident is important. And that is exactly not how we are to deal with the flesh. As Ephesians 5, 11-13, it says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So many things we could just say on that verse alone. But first in this list, we need to continue on. As we look at the list specifically, the first thing we see here is the works of the flesh, they mangle sex. The works of the flesh mangle sex. Hence, we see those three there. Sexual morality, impurity, and sensuality. There's a simple way of summing up all three of those works of the flesh here. Any sex, any sex, hear that? Any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman and any sex outside of your marriage is sin. That clarifies everything. If it's not within that context, it is sinful. So these terms would include pornography, the sexual revolution, lust, sexting, impure speech, and on you go. Now these works, those three, these works of the flesh, they are a big one. <laughs> I mean, this is where our culture is right now. These are the gods of our day. Right now it is being demanded of us and of you that you bow down and you worship these gods. And that pressure will just continue. Bow down churches. Become relevant. (laughs) Ignore the word. That's just a historical document. Why are you still going according to that? Would it be like Daniel? No. No. (laughs) Won't do it. Friends, Hear me here. It may be that you are struggling with this, these. And as believers, we can struggle with these. They are alluring. They promise much. But listen, they are no good. Sin has consequences. Sin does not tell you that at the beginning, that you will lose your marriage. You will lose your relationship with your children. You will lose all variety of things for the rest of your life. People will not trust you anymore. Sin has consequences. So do not, do not look at the way the world is treating these and think, you need to go along with that. It will cost you your life. And so the works of the flesh, they mangle sex. And then second, we see 
the works of the flesh, mingle worship, mingle worship. So here we have these two, idolatry and sorcery. And so these have to do with the worship of false gods, of worship of objects, worship of things. It's putting essentially anything before God. And that word sorcery in the Greek is the word pharmakia, which might sound familiar. Anybody have an idea? Pharmacy, that's right. That's where we get the word pharmacy. And so it makes sense then that that would entail part of the meaning of this word. It's the mixing of various chemicals, potions, or making poisons. And of course, that's not good. And so it even goes further than that, though. It is using poison or even witchcraft and trusting in anything or something else to do harm to yourself or to others. I mean, how many things would fall in this category today? Sorcery of alcohol. Right? The sorcery of any given drug. Works of the flesh. And then third... And lastly, we see the works of the flesh. They mangle community. They mangle community. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. So here is hostility against one another. It is contention It is sinful anger. It is discord. It is factions. It is a party spirit. It is excesses of all kinds. And when you see these, and I want you to hear this loud and clear because we see this all over the place in our world and in the church. When you see these, know what you are seeing. You are seeing the flesh. Do not be fooled. That's what those things are. Now, if you're reading all these, and you think maybe, well, Paul, he didn't, he didn't mention the one I'm doing. <laughs> he missed something. Well, he gives you one more. Verse 21. And things like these. There is yours. As we read of these works of the flesh, as we consider all these, just just see how serious these are. They're not mild. They're not neutral. Paul says, verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are all things that are not to mark you as believers. If you continue in them, 
if this is your practice, that you are walking in these, you are continually living in unrepentant sin, and you're living in these things, continuing in, in them, and you won't and you don't repent in them, Paul is saying with certainty that you are not saved. You don't know Christ. Now, don't let that fall on deaf ears. We are not talking about the abstract here. This is not ivory tower stuff. We aren't joking. This is talking about the real world. This is talking about your life, your home, what you're looking at, what you're doing. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so these are serious. And so after hearing all of this, ask, what about us? What about you? And I mean this, all of us, including myself, are these in your life? Are these in your life? And we're not going to stop there. But if they are in your life, what do you need to do? What do you need to do to overcome these things? We've seen that there is a battle, and the battle is fierce. And as a believer, perhaps you're saying, I don't know how to get out of this. So how do we get out of it? Well, first, be honest. Be honest. Our first response is to be one not of excusing, but of humble recognition. We are to have the disposition of David as he had in Psalm 51. I have sinned against you and you alone, O God. We're not looking at anyone else. I'm not thinking about my sin. It's going to have these consequences. If other people know that I'm doing this, That's not what we're thinking about. We're just thinking about God. And we're just thinking about, I have sinned. And I have really done this against you, Lord. Forget about the consequences. I want to come before you. And get this out of my life. And confess it. And seek your face. So be honest. And second, be repentant. That is, see the truth behind your sin and turn away from it. It's not this where you kind of go right back to it. You know, 360. It is a turning away from your sin in total. Not continuing in it. Cease drinking its poison and live free in Christ. So be honest, be repentant, and then third, be transformed. Be transformed. Repenting or being repentant or turning away from sin, it is not complete until you fill your life in with its replacement. If you do not fill it in, 
with its replacement, that sin will come right back around and you'll go right back to it again because you've not really dealt with it in total. It is still back here and you're still giving into it in some way. It must be replaced and it must be replaced with the truth of God's word. It must be replaced with love and with delight in Christ. It must be replaced with faith that sin is no good. And I'm going to have feet of faith, trusting Christ, believing the word, walking by faith in Him. It must be replaced with the fruit of the Spirit. Now in hearing all these, This is how we ought to respond. But hear me here as well. See that your help is not ultimately in you. It's so counterintuitive. But your help does not come from you. Your help is in the Lord. Your help is in the Lord you won't overcome any of those things if you're just doing it all in yourself, in your strength, in your ability. You're getting back now to the Judaizers, to the law. Your victory is not in you, it is in Christ. Your victory is not in you, it is in yielding to and walking according to the power of the Spirit of God. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and work for his good pleasure. And so may we fight, may we stand May we believe and go and walk by the power of the Spirit of God. Former president of Ukraine, Petro Poroshenko, was asked this week, regardless of your views of him, how long they would hold out. His answer is informative for us. How long will you hold out in Ukraine? He answered, forever. No matter how many soldiers he has, how many missiles he has, how many nuclear weapons he has, we Ukrainians are a free people. We're friends. We are free people as well. We are free in Christ. So may we not yield to the flesh, but yield to the Spirit of God, such that if you were asked, though the struggle with sin and self is great, how long will you keep trusting in God, trusting in Christ, trusting in His Word, and walking in his spirit. And your answer would be, by the grace of God, forever.
Let's pray. Lord, we, all of us here together, pray before you. And as we consider your word, we just ask that you would work in us. Our help is in the Lord. And so we look to you this morning. If our struggle right now is with the flesh and the believer is here and they're wrestling with this, may they see their help is in the Lord. They will never overcome this in their own strength. It is only through Christ. It is only by faith. It is only by believing and trusting and looking to you and yielding to the Spirit of God. And so help us, Lord. May you, even as we saw last week, paint that beautiful picture of the body of Christ, of those who are new creatures, walking in Christ and living by the power of the Spirit of God. And so that may mean that for some here this morning, for all of us here this morning, we need to repent of something. And may we be honest. May we be repentant and may we be transformed, O Lord. And for someone here who doesn't know you, I pray and we pray and plead for them before you that you may help them to have eyes to see even now that they would believe that Christ is the Savior, that his atonement, his dying on the cross for their sin, for their guilt, for their many mistakes, much shame, was taken care of in the cross. And that by believing in Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again. He died for them. He so loved the world that he gave, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And so may we receive your word this morning and respond as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.